Hard work, relentless dreams, and Wi-Fi is how Rob Draper became an artist. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson. This is the My Art is Real podcast, episode 19, Draper. Right after the break. This episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Bazaar Art Prize. If you are an artist, now is the time to enter the contest and showcase your work on their international platform and have a chance to win $50,000 in prize money. You have until midnight on July 17th, LA time to enter the contest. To enter and find all the information, go to beautifulbazaarartprize.art. If you enjoy the podcast and want even more content while supporting us, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash myartisreal and sign up today for only $3 a month. That's less than one cent a day. Thank you for your support and enjoy the episode. Okay. Hi, my name is Rob Draper and I'm an artist and designer based in Worcester in the UK. Is that where you're, you were born and raised or did you move there? Completely, yeah. Born and raised. It's about... Um, Nobody knows where it is. And then I often say, you know, where the source is from. And people go, oh, yeah, what's the source? And that's, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's pretty, pretty much the only thing that people know us for. And growing up there, what kind of stuff were you getting into? From a child, I was obsessed with art. But art at school, it wasn't particularly interesting or anything like that. It wasn't, partic- it wasn't particularly the done thing. Um, and then I think we, we became, in the UK, certainly we became obsessed by American culture. And that meant things like BMX bikes. And then straight after that was um, was hip hop and you had the rap music, the um, breakdancing and graffiti. And I was completely taken by graffiti because all of a sudden it meant that I could do art and it was um, it was cool. It was interesting. It was like there was different things you could do with it. And um, and I did that for many years. It kind of gave me a real outlet for kind of creativity, a real gave me a social life, it gave me adventures, it gave me confidence. And and so that was it through my school years. My favorite thing that I learned about Rob during our chat was this dude does not, no matter what, give up. But let's not move so fast, because we're going to get into all of that. As you heard, Rob was a huge graffiti guy growing up. And hey, uh, quick disclaimer, if you're a young, impressionable teen, don't do graffiti. It's a crime. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's go back to how Rob was doing graffiti at 11 years old. And how exactly did you and your buddies uh, get into graffiti in the first place? I think I got into it, I was um, was 10 years old. This is just, this is my final 10, as I was 10, 11, we left primary school and went to secondary school. And it was the last year of primary school. And uh, all of a sudden, I've got no idea who, but, all of a sudden, somebody had Subway Art. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book Subway Art. Subway Art is like the Bible of graffiti, which was basically a um, a, a book on the New York graffiti culture. And, and that came out, and it, it was just, as I say, um, we were obsessed with, absolutely obsessed with American culture as kids, whether that be BMX bikes or films and ET and, you know, all those, all those things. And so breakdancing and hip-hop was just it was so exciting at that time it was so it was so different to anything that felt like it was going on in the in the UK and certainly in Worcester um and so there was a there was a small pocket of people who got into graffiti so yeah it was a real for me it was it was it just meant uh, from for being able to create art it was just like it was brilliant absolutely brilliant well Rob himself never got caught he certainly knew people that did and I mean, of course, it made him pretty nervous. 
but he just had this powerful urge to keep creating art. First of all, uh, we would we had no idea how to do it, no idea where to get paint from, things like that, and so we would we started doing it when I was eleven. There's pictures of me doing it in chalk on pavements and, and not and trying to think. Um, that was a thing. And then from there, we learned to get paint and we got paint. And then it sort of, it built from there. Um, and as such, the kind of the adventures got bigger and bigger from there. Were you nervous? Yeah, very much so. Very, very much. So. At the time I was, yeah. Um, because it was, it was a different time then. It was a completely, completely different time. But, but yeah, you would get yourself into some, um, the nature of it, you get yourself into some situations that, yeah, you perhaps <laughs> looking back now weren't weren't the kind of wisest um, situations to be in. Um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. So, getting into the graffiti, how did that transition into you creating other art on other mediums, and kind of how that led to? And tell me how that kind of led to you going to art school. Well, I think I think naturally, I'd, I. I it was only ever art for me. I, I, I wasn't um, I wasn't one of those people who kind of had a had a wide range of um, options for me. Art was the only thing that particularly interested me, particularly motivated me. So it was always going to be art in some way, shape, or form. I think, and um, I think what had happened was I'd sort of made this link between. We, we did a uh, graphic design at school as well, and it was much more basic. But I under I understood that it was letter forms. And I was like, okay, well, I'm doing the letter forms of graffiti as well. So maybe there's some sort of crossover from there. But it didn't, it honestly failed again. I didn't know any artists. I didn't have, um, none of my family were artists. Nobody, I had no reference of an artist at all. So it just didn't feel like a career choice to be an artist. And so just like that, like our past two recent guests, Rob went to school for design. Then it got to about um, 16, and I went off to art college, did three years at art college, and then from there, three years at university in visual communication. And I found those days really, really fascinating, really, really fascinating. We would do often, there'd be all these different topics you could do and different approaches to projects. Um, We would be taken to galleries a lot, and I would go and stand in art galleries and look at the work and I remember seeing you know Jackson Pollock and I was fascinated by the kind of immediacy the, the kind of grit and the movement in his work but then almost by Roy Lichtenstein and I was again I was really compelled by the by the really straight lines the real real clean the clean kind of work in there and I, I loved that kind of contrast of the two of them um I still didn't really know what I was going to do um I'd have always loved to have been an artist but People from Worcester didn't really become artists. And it, so it just made much more economical sense for me to go and be a designer. Um, I developed through the graffiti art, I developed this kind of appreciation of letter forms. So I was drawing letter forms and everything all the time. So that was kind of, um, it, it just made more sense to, to follow, a, follow a path in design than it did um, art at that point. Shortly after graduating university, Rob would go on to work all over town doing varying degrees of different design work from there i i pretty much after leaving university i did years and years and years of every job you can imagine um i was a photocopier i was a junior designer designer 
senior designer, um, uh, creative director. And then the last role I found myself in was um, I became an art director for a clothing company. Now, that last job as an art director, Rob really enjoyed it. And it's really one of those dream jobs where you get to be pretty much as creative as you would like without the heavy restriction of the client. And and I and I absolutely loved the job. I, I had a there was a creative director there that kind of kind of if it was creative, and if it was interesting, and if it helped sell the brand, um, he was all for it. So it meant I could really almost go backwards a tiny bit and start going back into this idea of stepping away from the computer, and doing kind of really analog paintings and things like that, and and much more I would get involved in the store fits and things like that so I would work on the props and hand paint the branding and things like that and it just it sort of it pushed me completely uh, into a non-digital way um a non-digital direction which I loved I, I completely completely loved but sadly not all good things last forever and so everything was going absolutely fine and then and then one day we were all called down to the office and we were told that basically the company had been bought out and it was moving and moving to the other end of the UK. And as part of that, um, obviously, we'd have to relocate if we wanted to keep our jobs. And so I was just like, I was just like, oh, shit, what do I do? I can't relocate. At the time, I had um, wife, son, house, family, everything um, back in Worcester and I couldn't move up there. Um, I couldn't work remotely. Um, so I basically ended up being made redundant. And I just, it was just an absolute, like a terrible time for me. I just felt like I'd spent all my life since uni, leaving university, which would be probably 20 years maybe since I'd left university at the time. And just working upwards and upwards and upwards, a bit like snakes and ladders, where you get, you know, you go up a ladder, down a bit of a snake, up a ladder, down a bit of a snake. And I, and I felt like I'd finally sort of got to the end where I'd found something that I was content with, that utilised where I wanted to be. And um, and then I felt like I'd gone to a, down a snake all the way down to the bottom. Um, and so I was just like, oh, oh, God, what shall I do? What shall I do? That feeling of having constant progression up the mountain, just to fall back down, it hurts. Granted, it, it doesn't hurt as much as falling off an actual mountain, but it sure does throw you for a loop and leave you a bit uncertain as to how to start back up that trail. Rob had to regroup and figure out how he was going to keep the lights on for his family. From there, I thought, well, okay, there's no, there was certainly no, there weren't a huge amount of jobs in the area. And a lot of the people around these areas I'd worked for in the past anyway. So I sort of didn't really want to go back. I sort of felt like I'd done that. And so I just decided to, I thought, well, I just won't turn anything down at all. And um, I'll just move along and see what comes my way and just try things and see, see where that gets me. So I started to teach. I was teaching in, um, teaching in college. I'd work with um, special needs children. I'd work with um, students, um, adults, and I was doing all different sorts of teaching from uh, design to art. Okay. So the year is 2012, and Rob just started to share some designs on Instagram, and it was going pretty well. And in the background from that, I started to just draw on things. I had this idea. I'd, this was around the time I'd been told about Instagram, and I, I'm not really a big, I wasn't really a big social media user at all. But I thought, well, 
I thought, well, Instagram, I, I knew there wasn't a huge amount of opportunity coming my way through bumping into people in the street. It wasn't like I lived in a sort of, you know, in, in a cool place like, a, like a London or, a, or in New York or anything like that. So I, I sort of thought social media could be useful because it could be almost like a, um, like a shop window for me. So I could put bits of work on there and that would hopefully um, people would then look at my website and they would maybe employ me to do some work. And so I started to just draw pieces and put them on and scan things and put them on. And then one day I was, um, I didn't have my sketchbook with me and I drew on a disposable coffee cup and I put it online and it went really, really well. And, and I got this really, really positive feedback. And, I, and it's a strange thing. Being a freelancer can be quite an, uh, it's quite isolating. You spend a lot of time on your own, a lot, a hell of a lot of time on your own, just sort of sat there trying to work out how to get working. And, and so having this feedback was like, it was, it was absolutely brilliant for me. I, I was just like, okay, great. So I went back and I did some more and I pushed it a bit further and a bit further. And I, and I just kept trying to sort of um, outdo myself each time. And I'd write these, these sort of um, vaguely positive messages that were basically aimed at myself because at the time I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Then something special happened. And then one day um, I was working in men's prison doing sessions in art in men's prison. And as part of that, you're completely cut off from the outside world. Um, no phones, no laptops, anything like that for obvious reasons. And, um, and as I left there, one day I sat in the car, turned my phone on, and my phone is vibrating itself to pieces. And I've got tech, text messages, and I've got voicemails, and I've got emails. And the first message I look at is from my mom. And my mom is sat at home on her iPad reading the Daily Mail. And there's an article on the homepage of the Daily Mail about her son drawing on these coffee cups. And it just blew up from there. It just absolutely blew up from there. It became a really, really um, useful platform for me because it gave me, this is quite a time ago now, but it gave me, it gave me exposure for, for, for doing this thing. And it was kind of, you know, I, Again, at the point at the time, I wasn't necessarily trying to be an artist. I was actually trying to be a sort of a commercial, a commercial artist, but with a leaning towards lettering design. That was the plan at, at the time. Rob had done it. He'd kept the lights on, and he was making his way back up that mountain of success. However, the path was a little different this time. Instead of working for others, making their ideas a reality, he was making his own art, and and people were loving it. No more was he this random anonymous designer, but he was a sure enough artist. I was never meant to be a sort of name-checked artist in this. I was meant to be a sort of, you know, fairly anonymous commercial artist. And, and as the more work I was doing, the more work I was putting online, the more companies w were reaching out to me and they were sort of talking about it like it was collaboration and sort of name-checking me in it. And that wasn't necessarily the plan at all. The plan was just to just basically work on projects, um, finish the project, move on to the next project. It was never, um, it was never this idea of of actually creating work and creating uh, almost like collaborative work where where they would name check you. As he was just making his way back up, he had yet another setback. Only this time, it knocked him even further than the last. And then all of a sudden one day, um, 
every, you know, it feels like everything's back to normal. It feels like it had all worked at this point. It felt like, uh, you know, it felt like actually, you know, losing my job, it wasn't such a bad thing. It had pushed me onto this different, um, this different course. And it was actually a course that, you know, I wanted to kind of progress in. One day I sort of came home and the details aren't necessarily important, but I found that I, and my marriage was over. So we've been together a long time and my marriage was over. Obviously one of us had to go um, from the house. And so I left and went in and moved in with my sister. My sister had a, um, they had like this undecorated front room and she said I could go and stay there. So me and my son went and lived there for a while until I could get back on my feet. And that became a really, really, I, I think it was at that point for me that I felt like I needed to turn my work up to, to to basically give everything I possibly could to it because I'd gone and spoke to the bank and the bank were like, nobody was going to um, lend me any money at all for mortgage. So I was just like, okay, I need to work as much as I possibly can. So uh, it became this really, really difficult period for me in terms of I didn't have a desk anymore. I didn't have um, I didn't have an office or anything. Didn't have a desk. Didn't have any space to work in. I can only imagine how hard it must have been for Rob to deal with his marriage ending, but now he was also left without any space to work and was sharing a small room with his son. But like I said at the beginning of this episode, Rob does not give up, no matter what. So he put his nose to the grindstone and got to work, taking on as many projects as he could, working wherever he could. But what I'd found is that through working in the coffee cups, through working on these coffee cups and sitting in cafes and drawing on them, I found that I could work absolutely anywhere. So I just, when I wasn't with my son, I would just pack my bag and I would just go and sit anywhere and I would just work and work and work, um, mainly in libraries, things like that. Um, just get my laptop, my pencil case, and my sketchbooks and everything, and just sit and work. And it became this, as I say, it became an absolute kind of um, obsession at, at that time of like, oh my gosh, what you know, what? How can I get us? How can I get us out of this? And yeah, it became it became a real point where I became like, I need to turn this up as much as I possibly can now. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so, and and in doing so, as I say, it was absolutely great. I found it just became this really, really, really uh, important time for me. During that time, how did you handle all of that? How were you dealing with it? I was going to say it, it was um, it was really it was one of those moments where you feel like kind of the, the you know the, again it was a bit like that snakes and ladders thing where you sort of go all the way back down to the bottom down to the bottom and it was at a point where um, it was just my career just felt like it just settled down and then all of a sudden I was like oh wow I've got now. I've got my, you know, living in, living in my, my sister's front room. Do you know what I mean? On camp bed with my son. And it became this, um, it, it became very, very simple because it became very, very, um, I only needed to do two things really. I needed to be, look after him as much as I possibly could when I was with him. And when, and when I wasn't with him, it meant I would work as hard as I possibly could. It would mean that I would just, I would just create and create and create. Um, and so it, as I say, it, it, it very, 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 um, it made it, it gave me a weird kind of clarity, really, of, of what I needed to do. I'd, I'd learned through, you know, I'm older and I'd sort of learned through through life that you just sort of, um, it's not a great lesson to learn, but really you can only really depend on yourself, can't you? And, and, and so I sort of knew that actually 
the only person that can you know can turn this around is me really you know that I can't I can't, I can't sit and wait for, for anybody else to, to sort of do anything about this. The type of projects he got became even better as they wanted him for his style specifically. If you go on Rob's website now, you'll see a huge list of work he has done for companies like Steve Madden, Gap, Samsung, Nike, and the list just goes on and on. But Rob tells me about one of his favorite projects ever to come his way. I got approached by the Golden Globes and... I remember thinking, I remember thinking like, um, I was in a carol service for my son. My son was singing um, at this school at a carol service at Christmas. And I, and I came out to the uh, Worcester Cathedral, turned my phone on, had a call saying, would you be interested in um, working for uh, on the Globes that year? So I was like, absolutely jumped at the chance. That particular year, um, the work was done in a public library, sharing a desk with students for rising. Um, um, they, they just, it, it, it didn't, I had to make it, you know, you, you just have to make it work, you know. There's a, there's a funny photo I've got somewhere of my, um, on that first year, there's a, there's my laptop pushed up against the router at my mom's house, trying to get the file, trying to get the files across to them the day before, the day before it was broadcast. Because again, I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have internet or anything like that. I just had this, you know my laptop and all these files. So yeah, it was like, um, my mom was banned off her TV and my son wasn't allowed on his, I wasn't allowed on his iPads. And I was like, I've got to get these files there as quick as I possibly can. Things were improving a lot for Rob during this time, but there was a new roadblock. Only this time it didn't knock him back down. It just kind of caused him to take a detour and adapt. Uh, COVID I'd say was, was a really big turning point for me because I was still doing quite a lot of commercial work up to covid and then and then when covid happened obviously the the phone stops ringing the email stopped coming um and just literally my work went to zero pretty much immediately and i mean how did that feel when covid hit and and you started losing work like that well did it feel like you fell down that slide again no, because because it didn't feel as personal. It didn't, you know, the other two, when I lost my job, that was a kind of, that was a me thing and, and kind of everyone else around me seemed to still have jobs. And when my marriage ended, that was a me thing. Everyone around me still seemed to be sort of content. So actually, no, no with, with COVID, it was, it was a completely, di- it felt a different thing to me. And it was a strange time. It was a really, really strange, as a lettering artist, it was a strange time. So yeah, my work dried up immediately. Um, and I became, I struggled to find a voice within that time because I didn't want to do, I didn't want to write positive things and put them out because, because of course, because of course that was insensitive. And yet I didn't want to put negative things and write negative things and put those out because of course people, lots of people have got it far worse than me. So, so it was a really difficult thing of actually finding a voice. So I went back into just drawing letters and drawing individual letters I think during the first wave in the UK, I did a project where I just basically would hand letter. People would write their, people would tell me their words. They would write sentences and they would send them to me and I would hand letter them. And it got, it sort of got me around the problem really, because it meant that I could get on with lettering, but without actually, without actually say, you know, saying anything myself within it. And, and it, it was a real turning point for me. It was a real, it, it was great because it generated um, income in a time where, as I say, my income had completely, completely dried up. It connected with people again around the world, which was brilliant, especially at that time. But it also taught me, it also taught me that I didn't necessarily need to be 
reliant upon a client. I'd always been so reliant upon client work that, yeah, when there were no clients there, it was kind of, oh, what do I do with that? But so it was a real, it was quite a pivotal point for me, really, quite a pivotal point. And how did you, I guess, stay so positive throughout all of this, throughout all these setbacks? Because you, because you learn, because you learn, um, as, I say, as I mentioned before, you don't want to necessarily, um, you, you realize that the only person who can do anything about it is you, I think is the first thing. I think, I think that's, the, the, that's one of the resounding things is actually, it, it, you know, this situation, you know, it, it can change, but the only person who can change that is you. And then you're kind of like, well, how do, how do I change that? Well, I change that by keeping on. I mean, and do you know what makes you feel that way? What made you feel like, if I just keep going, if I just keep trying, I'm going to make it work? Well, I think it's because, I think it feels like there's a lack, there, there have been in the past, I feel like a lack of obvious other um, opportunities. So, it, it, you know, it, it felt like there wasn't a plan B. It felt like, I've, I, you know, I need, I need to make this work. Do you know what I mean? And certainly, you know, I say, you know, everything's fine now. And, you know, myself and son have got our house and everything. That's all good. But, but, but certainly in those, in those days where it all went sort of really, really pear-shaped for me, um, I was like, I, I haven't got time to sort of sit and think about this. I need to get on with this and I need to, I need to move forward with this because this is, this is my escape route. This is, this is the way I get out of this. I mean, I just, I find it so fascinating. Like your, I guess your work ethic. And and just like your unwavering like commitment to it, you know, and just trying different things. Even like you said, like you're living at your sister's house and then you're like, you're going out making these works that aren't paying anything, but they're like, you know, it's going to lead to paid work eventually that this is no, going to no, help no. you get you, to. No, no, no. You hope it's going to lead to paid work eventually. You don't know. It, it, it would be lovely if you knew, but you don't. But you know that. Well, see that. See, that's what I'm wondering. How did you? What made you feel so like I got like? I mean, you hope. Like, what made that hope so great for you? Because when I'd lost my job, it had worked. Then, you know, it 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 was simple that it it, that had worked in that process. So it's kind of like, well, I you know, I didn't know anything else, and everything else felt like it was falling apart. So it much it. I was kind of like, well, that worked last time. Maybe if I just turn this up a bit, it will work again. It was it was simply that, but it, but it was there was a lot of maybe's and there was a lot of hope in there, but it, there certainly wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of of like I know this will work, not at all. Um, you know, I, I I'm not that um, assured. You know, it was just it was just a, it was just a case of this is what I know what to do, and this and I hope this is um, and I hope this kind of yeah, I hope this is. I hope I can turn this thing around. What did Rob have that helped him succeed? He didn't have some leg up in the industry and have all these connections that made life easy. He had to pull himself up from his bootstraps and and figure this stuff out. And he had a lot of setbacks along the way. However, through all of that, he did have three things that I think helped him become an artist and make a living doing so. He had hard work, a relentless dream, and Wi-Fi. How does it feel now to be an artist from a place where growing up you didn't you didn't see that you didn't know anyone that was an artist for a living you didn't know that was a thing kind of growing up 
How does how do you feel now? It's strange because you've got no idea if you're doing it right or wrong because you haven't got anything to you know you've got absolutely nothing to kind of benchmark it to. Um, so yeah, it's it's really yeah very very strange. The internet has changed so much of the world we live in. I know without it and Instagram, I would not be doing this podcast. I I'd have no idea where I'd be. Wi-Fi is what allowed Rob to be seen by the Golden Globes and all these huge brands from just his small town working in a library in the UK. His hard work was what put food on the table for him and his son and what got them out of that small room and into their own home. And this relentless dreaming is what kept him motivated throughout all those days and nights working his butt off next to all those other college students in the library. Normally, this is the part of the outro that I ask you to consider signing up to the Patreon and and to share the show, but I want to ask you to do something different this time. I want you to think about Rob's story and think about your own dreams and just go out into the world and try your best to make your dreams a reality by using all the free resources we have with the internet and, of course, put in that hard work. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.